Election College, Episode 201, Daniel D. Tompkins. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we're kind of diving into a little bit of some of the vice presidents who never ended up becoming president. And as was pretty common in those days, a lot of the vice presidents did end up becoming the president eventually. But not so is the case is that a word? Not so is the case. Anyway, sure. not so is the case with Daniel D. Tompkins, because, uh, well, he had a lot of stuff going on for him, and we're going to talk about that right now. Yeah. So Daniel D. Tompkins, who was just known as Daniel Tompkins at the time, he was born in Scarsdale, <laughs> New York, and that was in 1774. And he was the son of Sarah Ann and Jonathan Griffin Tompkins. There's not a whole lot that we were able to find about his early life, but we do know that he was one of 11 children and that his parents were tenant farmers and they had achieved a reasonable amount of success uh, shortly before he was born financially. So they were middle-class, working-class people there in Scarsdale. Yeah, and Jason kind of alluded to the fact that he was Daniel Tompkins instead of Daniel D. Tompkins. Uh, It was when he was in school where there were some other, there was another individual. He ended up going to Columbia University and there was another individual named Daniel Tompkins. So he throws in the D and uh, as far as we know, the D never actually stood anything, stood for anything except for distinguishing himself from the other Daniel Tompkins. So that's just a little bit of meaningless trivia for you. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, like all good politicians, he became a lawyer. He practiced in New York City and was a delegate to the New York Constitutional Convention in 1801 and then became an assembly member in 1804 and was elected to serve in Congress at the age of 30, but he resigned before doing that because guess what he became an associate justice in the new york supreme court that's pretty cool i mean it's obviously cool enough to be elected to do something let alone to be in the congress of the united states but then you're like "Eh, i think i'll turn it down so i can stay here and be a judge i like that better yeah it's kind of like check that off the bucket list at the age of 30 (laughs) yeah uh his brother who was caleb tompkins he was actually a uh, representative from New York as well. So a little bit of political blood running through those veins, I guess you could say. But early on in life, at about the age of 23, Daniel marries his wife, Hannah. And uh, at the time, Hannah was actually 16 years old. So a 16-year-old married a 23-year-old, again, in before 1800, you know, not as big of a deal as it is now, but uh, you can imagine there was still a little bit of conversation happening. And Daniel's already on his way into politics. He's already interested and uh, looking to have some uh, 
influence with the nation. So they end up having eight children. And uh, this is in a matter of about 15, 14, 15 years. And uh, all of them, well, not all of them, some of them were also pretty politically involved uh, in the future as well. Ben, you know, just thinking about that, him getting married, or him being 23 years old and marrying a 16-year-old, for some reason, that reminds me of a bunch of, like, oldies songs. And maybe oldies to me might be different than oldies to you, but, like, songs from the 1950s (laughs) where... You know, there's all these songs about being in love with a 16-year-old or, you know, hey, she was kind of ugly, but now she's 16 and she's hot and stuff like that. And I think about those songs (laughs) and being like, that is totally creeper. But I guess as a different era and I don't know, but the older I get, the more I realize is, man, songs from the 1950s and 1960s, yuck. They're creepy for sure. Uh, it it is interesting how much different like now in 2017, a uh, how much different a, an 18 year old is from a 30 year old versus an 18 year old from a 30 year old in 1788. Uh, much different entirely, and and it also is interesting. This is totally just me musing. Uh, you know, when you're 13 years old and 20, there's only seven years apart there, but it feels like a world apart because, you know, you're in much different places in life. But when you're 25 and 32, that's seven years apart, but it doesn't feel all that different. It's not weird to be friends. So anyway, I can go on all day. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, where were we? They had eight kids and we'll get back to his political career. So in April of 1807, he runs for governor. He defeats the incumbent, Morgan Lewis. Um, He won by 5,000 votes, and he was the governor of New York until 1817. So 10 years. So you may remember the name DeWitt Clinton. Uh, He was actually a supporter of Tompkins in his first run for office. But uh, later on, he ends up, you know, breaking off and siding with James Madison in the presidential election of 1808. But, you know, that's down the road a little bit. But I just thought another name from history. It seems like oftentimes these historical figures that we know of are tied together in one way or another. And it's amazing the connections. But DeWitt Clinton is uh, here in this one. We haven't done an episode on DeWitt Clinton, but we should. Yeah. And Ben, just to give a couple of remarks about what it meant to be governor of New York. Now, I I would think that if you go way into all of the ins and outs of what it meant for Tompkins, especially, he was being directed a lot by the political forces there in New York. So you had Tammany Hall, you had DeWitt Clinton, you know, there's a lot of people who are kind of controlling anyone who is going to be serving in leadership in New York state at the time. But to be governor of New York is a huge deal because keep in mind back then states had much more authority than even the federal government. So at least in their own state, right? So to be the governor was as big of a deal as being a senator or vice president even. Yeah, and so during the War of 1812, he was able to 
make a really big difference as the governor in New York. Uh, he was able to get the militia from the state to be reorganized. He was able to start the formation of a standing army in New York. And he's actually kind of noticed so highly and recognized so highly that uh, James Madison offers him the position or actually kind of tells him, you're going to have the position of Secretary of State. And we all know what happens to people who are Secretary of State, right? They end up becoming the president. Well, he's like, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to be Secretary of State. He ends up taking a different position that is the commander of the military district for the uh, for New York City, and that's a, a federal district that he ends up taking over. So, uh, hey, I think he probably screwed up. He could have been president, but we'll see how that goes for him. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the next year, in 1815, he establishes a settlement in Staten Island, or on Staten Island, along the eastern shore, and it became known as Tompkinsville. And he builds a dock... And in 18, like a doc, not, he doesn't build a doctor. (laughs) Right. So I don't know. That's not even funny. So in 1817, (laughs) he begins offering ferry service between Staten Island and Manhattan. It's kind of like he's the original Staten Island ferry guy. And in 1816, he buys more land that's along the waterfront So one of his most noteworthy things that he did while governor was in 1817, he said, on July 4th, 1827, all slaves in New York State should become free. So in New York, the Democratic Republicans are really in strong support of Daniel D. Tompkins for president. The 1816 presidential elections coming up. He's been around for a while. People know who he is. He was almost Secretary of State. He's definitely a good governor. But guess what? James Monroe ends up getting the party's nomination. And of course, we talked about James Monroe and that nomination, that election in general, in more detail. I don't know why I said in general, because I meant in more detail uh, (laughs) many times in the past. But Tompkins ends up getting elected as James Monroe's running mate. And he runs again for governor of New York in 1820. Uh, so he ends up winning the vice presidency. We, we know that from, you know, other podcast episodes, obviously. Uh, obviously, you remember that from other episodes. But he ends up running for governor against DeWitt Clinton while he's also the vice president. So he's two years into his term runs for governor of New York and still plans on holding his seat as the vice president, which is interesting again, because we kid around about this and uh, we'll talk about it here in a minute, but the vice president, yeah, just doesn't have as much to do as we would think of them having to do now. So, and then backing up just a little bit while he was the governor of New York during the war of 1812, which that gets so confusing, Ben, to me, because 1812, but all of the good stuff, uh, and what I mean by good stuff yeah. is, like, activity and good things for, well, as good as you could expect for the Americans coming out of that war. 1814 is kind of the year where things are actually happening. Uh, progress is happening, I should say, with the War of 1812. Yeah. So that, that trips me up quite a bit. hope that doesn't trip everyone up. But... What you need to know about Tompkins' involvement with the War of 1812 is please 
keep good records of your finances and <laughs> keep your business expenses separate from your personal expenses because that is where Tompkins really gets tripped up. He doesn't keep very good records of what he spends on official business and the New York legislature as well as the federal government refused to reimburse him when he says, hey, I spent this money for work purposes. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, all right. So (laughs) just keep that in mind because that plagues him really the rest of his life and causes some of that prime property that he had on Staten Island. He had to sell it uh, because, well, he was in financial dire straits. Yeah, that's funny because there were different times when people said, well, yeah, we owe Daniel Tompkins a lot of money. And instead of just being like, okay, I'll take that money because anything's better than nothing, he said, nuh-uh, it's more than that. And, I mean, I understand you want to get what, you, what you're owed, but uh, sometimes it's just better to take, <laughs> take what you can get so you can uh, feed your mouth, basically. But during this time when he is, uh, he gets injured because uh, he fell off his horse, and then he also is in really bad financial states, and he becomes an alcoholic. Uh, he really starts struggling with drinking too much and drinking at the wrong times, and it, it just really has a negative influence on his health, on his ability to serve the country, etc. And so he's really not in great shape financially and physically, mentally, I'm sure, and he doesn't spend a lot of his vice presidency inside Washington, D.C. Now, a lot of guys during this time didn't spend a lot of time in Washington, D.C. as vice president, but he was supposed to be the presiding officer of the Senate, and he just did such a bad job. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. You know, his early life, his early very public life on the national scene, Washington Irving was quoted as saying that Tompkins was, quote, absolutely one of the worthiest men I ever knew, honest, candid, prompt, and by the time... The War of 1812 clears up, and he's vice president. He was inconsequential. He just did um, not—he didn't have a lot of time to uh, concern himself with the affairs of government. He was more concerned with trying to clear his name because of his faulty expense reports. Yeah, so he gets out of office, and 99 days later— he ends up dying. And this is of the vice presidents who didn't die in office. <laughs> he has the shortest life after being in office. So uh, also one of the youngest people who were vice presidents to ever die. Uh, one of the youngest people who were ever vice presidents, period. But he dies when he's 50 years old. And he's only, uh, he's one of very few who were vice president for two full terms. Uh, John Adams was the first, and then Tompkins was the second. Now, there's been a couple others, uh, but not for over 100 years after that. So we always make fun of the vice presidents in the 1800s having a hard time uh, you know, staying alive. But Tompkins did it, but not for very long after he gave up the office. Yeah. Really a sad... I, I, I don't know if... His life is more tragic than others, but it it does seem 
very sad. Here he dies at age 50. Had he done things a little bit differently, he probably would have lived decades longer. He probably could have become president because here he was. He had something that other vice presidents didn't have going for them, and that was youth. And uh, that was thrown away. Very sad. Yeah, he definitely had the option to take part in the upcoming election that was, you know, after after his vice presidency was over. But he basically said he didn't really care. He didn't want to do anything. He wanted to go home and retire. And uh, he was kind of embarrassed, too, you can imagine. He's out a bunch of money. He knows he deserves it, but it's his fault he's out it. Uh, a lot of people in the government even think he probably deserves it, but without some proof, he can't. They can't give it to him. Like that's not how government works. That's not how finances work. You don't just give money because you trust somebody. So uh, he's embarrassed too. So yeah, he says, "I'm not running." He goes home and dies. Well, this is an uplifting episode. <laughs> but the one thing that would be really uplifting about it is if a good review came of this episode. Yeah, so you can do that by going to electioncollege.com slash iTunes or electioncollege.com slash review. They'll take you to the same place. If you would, take the 83.9 seconds that it does take to leave that star rating and review. Last week we had three reviews come in, and that definitely helps the podcast get in front of more people. So we appreciate it. We love interacting with you on our social media channels you can go to Election College on any of them, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you'll find us. Also, we like interacting with you in person, although we very rarely get the chance to do so. So if you happen to be close to uh, a, a national monument, if you are close to a park, if you have connections with somebody who has something to do with a presidential site, if you're in Washington, D.C., if you're... If you have a place that you think would be of interest to us, uh, throw it out to us. Send us an email at contact at electioncollege.com. Uh, we may just be able to make a little road trip. It's entirely possible. Or maybe we'll be in your area and we can connect. I know we've had some of you who are at different uh, museums and stuff like that reach out to us and say, if you ever get this way, let us know. And we will definitely do that. But it's always good to know where we have listeners that are uh, you know, able to, to talk with us. Yeah, and uh, we'll keep it uplifting and positive <laughs> for the most part. But uh, <laughs> we will see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.